Welcome to Chasing the Word on Compassion Radio. Good morning, honey, and welcome to Chapter 21. This is our last round with John. Welcome back to the microphone. Thank you. It's good to be back. We've encouraged people throughout all of our series we've done with Chasing the Word to take a chance with somebody on a regular basis, just dig into the Word together. We believe, and our experience has been, that spending time together in the Word and actually talking it through, saying, what do you see God saying in this passage, draws out of us the things we didn't really even know were there until we had to vocalize them. And the Spirit of God working in our hearts has been encouraging us to think of things maybe a little bit differently, or more completely, or more openly, Mm -hmm. as we work on the Scripture together. And that's what this series, what this project, and what our purpose is all about with Chasing the Word here on Compassion Radio. Well, throughout this series, we have tried to be as candid about our discussions as we can be. And most of the time, we sit down at the mic and read through the scripture as if we're doing the study right then, which we are basically doing the study right then. Not the course that we're unfamiliar with the material. We've been reading this over and over again right, for the but past I'm just saying two it's, years. It's one of those things that feels like a real discussion. It's candid and it is honest between the two of us. Oh, and, I would hope and, so. And, yeah, and or it makes us honest or yeah. keeps us honest. We've been encouraging people throughout all of these series to take advantage of the Bible study guides that we've been publishing every week to go with the particular chapters that we're discussing in our programs. They are a study aid. They're meant to give you a chance to read through the scripture together and some prompting questions. They do not provide answers. They provide a way, a method of actually interacting with each other and some place to start. Mm -hmm. So if you've never had that experience, friend, of actually sitting down with a friend or getting to know somebody over coffee in the morning or in the evening, whatever time of day you want to do this, and ask honest questions and actually engage each other and trust that God's going to speak to you in a new and fresh way. If you've never done that before, all these resources are available to you for free on our website. We'd love to have you pick it up yourself and run with it. That is CompassionRadio.com, of course. I believe strongly that just sitting with each other and asking God to speak through that person across the table from you and open your heart for what he may be saying directly to your spirit can really open up the scriptures in ways that you don't just get by asking someone to force feed you Mm. only from a pulpit. Mm -hmm. I mean, as much as it is absolutely important to have solid Bible teachers giving the word to us in discrete doses, it is not the end of anything. It is only the beginning. And I think any pastor worth his salt will tell you the same thing. I'm just beginning this process for you. You run with it. You read the Bible. So we want to reinforce what every pastor I've ever known has ever said. Get into the Word yourself. And we believe doing it with a friend makes it even more powerful. I hope, too, that this is compelling you to love the Scriptures. It's bringing you to a place of real discovery mm-hmm. and love for the Word of God. It's always challenging to me to find the place where I feel drawn into the Scripture and pulled mm-hmm. into the narrative and the story of what's happening there. And the book of John has been a great place to do that because it's so descriptive of what's happening. John is a great narrator of events. So it really paints a great picture of what's actually happening in that place as John is walking through life with Jesus. He's telling a great story of something that really happened to him, and he's taking ownership for that, but he's also trying to make himself the omniscient narrator to speak on behalf of the entire team. Mm -hmm. But it is his perspective, and it is, of course, the most personal of the Gospels. You can see him hiding behind every word, Mm -hmm. and that makes, I think, his account so unique. 
And he also doesn't shy away from using nicknames and things that he was known for. Apparently, during his ministry and walk with Jesus, everyone kept needling him about being the best friend, the chum, the closest one, Jesus' favorite student. And that's the nickname he just kind of owns up to and says, okay, you're right. I was the guy that had that reputation. But there are a lot of things that he went through during his time with Jesus which kind of prove the point. Jesus really did depend upon John as a friend to do things that no one else would be brave enough to do on behalf of his family. Mm -hmm. He's already, by this point in the book, adopted Mary as his mom Mm -hmm. and taken her into his own household. Everything about what comes to the end of the story is about John trying to sum up, what did it mean for me? And what can it mean for you? And that's where we end up with this epilogue, which is chapter 21. Mm -hmm. Let's go ahead and jump right into that from the translation you've been reading from. Starting in verse 1. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. He revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called Twin, Nathaniel from Cana of Galilee, Zebedee's sons, and two others of his disciples were together. I'm going fishing, Simon Peter said to them. We're coming with you, they told him. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. When daybreak came, Jesus stood on the shore. However, the disciples did not know it was Jesus. Men, Jesus called to them. You don't have any fish, do you? No, they answered. (laughs) Cast the net on the right side of the boat, he told them, and you'll find some. So they did, and they were unable to haul it in because of the large number of fish they had caught. Therefore, the disciple, the one Jesus loved, said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he tied his outer garment around him, for he was stripped, and plunged into the sea. But since they were not far from land, about a hundred yards away, the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire there, with fish lying on it, and bread. Bring some of the fish you've caught, Jesus told them. So Simon Peter got up and hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, a hundred and fifty-three of them. Even though there were so many, the net was not torn. Come and have breakfast, Jesus told them. None of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, and gave it to them. He did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. And that's about halfway through this particular chapter. It's not a lot of verses to talk about, but because we're winding up this entire study... We'll have plenty, I think, to spin off from mm-hmm. this. First thing that comes to mind for me is the witness of three. This is the third time that Jesus has appeared to mm-hmm. the disciples. And we think about him only appearing to them because they're the ones that gave the accounts. But we do know that Jesus, after the resurrection, didn't just appear to the twelve. Right. But the disciples themselves had their own accounts. And like John is doing here, he's sticking strictly to what he saw himself. He's not trying to give an account of everybody else's experiences. Mm-hmm. Now, the book of Luke is almost exactly the opposite. It is the investigation of the Apostle Luke, who became a believer and a follower and a friend and a fixer, really, to take the other apostles around the entire Roman Empire. Mm -hmm. But he wanted to get an account that everyone could look at to say, this is all I could find out in the short time I had, investigative journalism here, to tell the story from all these different perspectives. But John is just about what he saw with his people. So he's saying he was there physically for this event, and it's the third time that Jesus focused on them. There is a huge significance to the idea of the witness of three, and I want to talk about that a little bit. What insight do you get from the witness of three? Well, every time through all of the Law and the Prophets, 
you can establish a fact by two witnesses, but you absolutely affirm something as solid and irrefutable if you have three consistent witnesses that haven't colluded. Mm-hmm. So that's a legal principle there, that once something is attested to three times, it's settled. And we see that about the way that the Holy Spirit and the Father and the Son are introduced to each other in the presence of all, that there are so many events where three times the Father says, this is my Son, I'm well pleased, and the Holy Spirit shows up, and all the witness of the Son says what the Father says, the Holy Spirit agrees, and people see these things happen. There's something about the very nature of all three of them are here. All three expressions of God that we've ever read about are present Mm -hmm. together. Mm -hmm. And that has established the fact that Jesus had an authority that goes way beyond just human experience or knowledge or wisdom. It is something that is supernatural. When Jesus comes back to present himself for the third time, it's his third witness to his own people saying, I really have, in fact, come back in multiple contexts and multiple places. And every one of you, all 12 of you now, have seen me. Mm-hmm. All of them have at least seen him twice. And together, they've all seen him at least three times. Mm-hmm. Again, not just seeing him in passing. We're talking about visiting with Jesus. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they're setting up for breakfast that yeah. morning. When the God of the universe in bodily form shows up and makes you breakfast, this is a little more personal than just having a sermon preached at you from a heaven of the cloud, right? Yeah. yeah. This is something that is so familiar to them and so like what they have been through together for years. They've always been camping. Jesus said, I've got no hole to crawl in. Even the foxes have that. We're sleeping out in the open constantly, traveling from place to place. They're on retreat now. He's already put the fire on. It's got coals going. In other words, he's been working at this for some time, apparently. By the time they can even see him at first light, they're exhausted. They've got nothing to show for their entire night. They're also dealing with their own loneliness, separation anxiety. They're all waiting anxiously. Mm-hmm. Well, I get the impression that they didn't know what to do. They've been with Jesus because no direction. at the end of chapter 20, we read that in the presence of the disciples, Jesus did many more miracles, did many more signs mm-hmm. and wonders. There's too many to write down. John right. says that at the end of chapter 20. I get the impression that they had been hanging out with Jesus quite a bit He had come to them and then gone away and then come back to them. Now maybe he's been separated from them for a little bit, and they're like, okay, now what? We don't have any direction. And so Peter, being the outspoken one, is like, well, I'm just going to go fishing. They've obviously worked their way back from Jerusalem. The end of the festivities and Mm -hmm. Holy Week is done. Passover's over. People have gone home. Mm -hmm. Jesus has not shown up every other day. So there's probably some span of time where they had mm-hmm. to decide where to go next. So I think they probably went back to some of those places where those things happened. Mm-hmm. Probably walked through Samaria or even visited friends they had made along the way and telling the story about what happened in Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. I'm sure at least the underground church, ones that were afraid but believing, wanted to know everything that happened in Jerusalem. Yeah. So by the time they're in Galilee, they've undoubtedly visited with people and told the story along the way as God's Spirit led them to do it. So by the time they're back at the beach where it all started, Peter's like longing for those days. There's something about Peter's enthusiasm here. I knew he would come kind of attitude. Mm -hmm. I just felt like I needed to be here. And I think all of us at some time in our lives have felt like this is exactly where I needed to be. I didn't know why yet, but now I do. And when you have that experience, like it justifies everything. Well, I see the disciples kind of going back into some old habits as well. I mean, they were all fishermen, these guys, or most of them were. We don't have direction about what we're going to do. 
So I'm just going to go back to doing the thing that I know how to do. Yeah. Then they're disappointed. Mm. It isn't working for us now. They're grieving the loss of so many things here. And now they're having to, to figure out what to do after losing their ability to even fish. The battle afterwards is very, very different. Sure. Everything has changed. You're not really sure what's coming next. They've just seen and experienced and believe that Jesus has truly risen from the dead. But even now, they don't know all that it's going to mean mm -hmm. for them or for the world. And I think, too, that Peter's probably lost his position in some ways because Jesus counted on him to get this thing moving. He was his sergeant. You're the rock on which I'll yeah. build my church. <laughs> what Jesus has expected of Peter has been about him being in that role. He's the drill sergeant for the team. He's kept the show on the road. He's the guy that can get things moving when no one else can. Jesus has not been visiting with them like that anymore. He hasn't been giving him orders. All of his job responsibilities have kind of gone poof. They do not know that the Holy Spirit's going to come and dwell in a way they've never experienced before. Mm -hmm. They don't know that Pentecost is right around the corner. Right. All they know is that Jesus has basically said, wait. For 78 years now, we've depended on the faithful encouragement of friends just like you to bring this unique radio and media ministry to the air each day. We're focused right now on the current crisis in and around Ukraine. Friends, really, we need you now to step up. Please give generously, even sacrificially, right away. I know that God will be pleased if we do. So call us today at 1-800-868-2478. Mail us at P.O. Box 2770, Orange, California, 92859. Text the word COMPASSION to 53445 or give online at CompassionRadio.com. Bless you, friends, for your brave and activist faith. And make sure to ask for your own copy of The Dynamic Gospel when you contact us today. All they know is that Jesus has basically said, wait. And so he's just making a decision to kind of bide time. And he's also, I think, dreading what could come next. It may be very different. God may reorganize them in a different way they've ever experienced before. They may have different jobs. Someone else may be, quote, in charge. Well, I see Peter being kind of a lost soul here, too. Mm -hmm. he's, he's just out of his element on the shore. Feels like I got to go back on the water and get my bearings. I find it interesting, though, how after Jesus calls out to them and says, you don't have any fish, do you guys? Like, you know, he knows mm -hmm. what's been going on. And then he does this miracle. This miracle happens with the fish. Describe for me what you think about this as a miracle. Well, these guys are professional fishermen. True, they haven't been doing it for the last three years or so. But that has been their profession from mm -hmm. the time they could get onto a boat when they were little boys, I'm sure. And there's one thing to know how to wait for, it's fish. Now, I'm not a fisher person. So I don't know when the best time to fish is. They're spent, and now they're probably just feeling dejected because the thing that they know how to do the best... They don't know how to do anymore. They don't know how to do anymore. Yeah. It hasn't been happening. And so this guy out there on the shore is yelling at him, Hey, you don't have any fish. And oh, yeah, yeah, thanks for that Duh. kind of guy. <laughs> then he says, Hey, throw your nets on the other side of the boat. And I can just see the guys kind of rolling their eyes, but, you know, what do we have to lose? So they do. And then, boom, there's this huge haul of fish. Well, where have these fish been all night? Have they just been, like, under the boat? Surely they've cast their nets on both sides of the boat. Who knows? <laughs> but that, to me, is a miracle because these guys have been doing this all night, literally had nothing, no catch, not even so much as seaweed, as far as we know. So what I'm asking is, is it a miracle because the fish showed up? and were caught? Or is the miracle something else? They didn't have anything. Did they not expect something? Did something they did not expect happen? I mean, obviously they wanted to catch fish. 
What is the miracle here? We talk about miracles being something that would not have happened had not God done something out of the ordinary. Well, I see this as being blind obedience in some ways. Okay. This man on the shore says, hey, do this. Maybe it's a familiar voice. Maybe it's not. I don't know. But for some reason, they're compelled to obey him, if you will. Mm. Oftentimes, Jesus meets us in a place of complete despair. Mm. We've done everything we know how to do. We think we've done everything right, and yet we're stuck with nothing. We caught nothing. Mm. We are rowing back into the shore. We're exhausted, hungry, frustrated with ourselves and with each other, with those around us. We just don't know what else to do. And then that voice says, just try one more time. Mm. Just surrender everything, all your expectations, and throw the net out there and pull it back in and see what happens. That, to me, is just an act of obedience. It's an act of release and complete surrender. There you go. Perhaps the biggest miracle that's happening here is that they hear a voice and allow it to change their minds. Mm -hmm. That God opens their hearts up to another opportunity and another option. And sometimes we don't ever get what we wanted, but we find out that God was right there with us anyway. Mm-hmm. Miracle is, for us, maybe just discovering that God was in it. Yeah. And I know plenty of people have gone through deep depression, and the miracle for them in the morning is saying, God said to get out of bed, so I'm going to do it. And that is a big deal. Mm-hmm. And to be obedient in that is to say, if I follow him, he will not disappoint. Mm-hmm. Not that I'm going to have a net full of fish, but that I'm not going to despair. I'm going to be able to get out of bed today. Peter was able to get the boat towards shore, but who knows if he had the energy or the expectation or the hope to do anything more than just beach the thing and go look for another breakfast somewhere else. Mm-hmm. But when he believes it's Jesus, he does an extraordinary thing. He just ties up his tidy whities and jumps off the boat and swims 100 yards. Yeah. He's got all the energy he needs to get to the one he loves because he believes at that point it must be Jesus. He just explodes with excitement because he believes. And for me, I think the biggest miracle is often that we simply realize we can believe. There's got to be something mysterious, too, about the way Jesus presents himself. There's something about him that really is truly different than the average human being. I'm sure of that. There's something that's almost cloaked every time he shows up. You can actually see and touch me. But he's in and out. So for them, he can't really just be like a guy walking down the street that catches up with you. He somehow is there. Just there. So it is mysterious in that regard. I also think there is a significance about the meal he served them. Mm. He fed thousands of people with loaves and fishes. And that's exactly what he has here. So he had bread and fish for them. So Jesus had already gone fishing. Precisely. He invites them to bring theirs to join in what God has already provided Jesus there Mm. on the beach. Consider that when Jesus broke the bread and the fish to give away to the thousands, he's been given gifts by somebody. Everybody brings something to him. They crowdsourced it and brought up a little bit, and Jesus multiplied all that. In this case, it's from God's hand directly. Provided. This is his personal family, friends. And the host of a family, the home, always provides for those under the roof that says, you're at home here. Mm. This is your place. I provide for you directly. And come join in. Bring what you brought. Let's make it a feast Thanksgiving dinner. Kind of like that for us in our culture. Honey, let's read from the dynamic gospel now while we still have a little bit of time left. (laughs) A little bit here. Chapter 21 of John. Jesus revealed himself to his students in the same way in more places, including along the Sea of Tiberias. 
Simon Peter was with a number of the other disciples at the time, including Thomas, the twin, Nathaniel, who lived nearby in Cana, and two sons of Zebedee, James and John, of course, and two more. Perhaps he was bored or hungry, but Peter said, I'm going fishing. Anyone want to go with me? The whole group accepted and got into the boat together. They stayed out all night without snagging a single fish in their net. At first light, they saw a man standing on the shore nearest to them. It was Jesus, but they didn't know it yet. Jesus called out to them across the water. Hey, kids, you have anything to eat? No, they grumbled. Have you tried casting the net on the right side yet? Jesus called out again. You might be surprised at what you'll find. This the men did, and were suddenly overwhelmed with a (laughs) net-breaking catch. With all their might, they couldn't haul it in. The net was just too full. That disciple called the Lord's best friend said to Peter, It's got to be Jesus. Peter, having earlier stripped down to his skivvies, threw on his jacket to cover himself and stepped right out of the boat. No walking this time, he took the cold splash in the face without hesitation and swam the 150 yards to shore. The others carefully paddled the skiff in, trying not to lose their tremendous catch and dragging it behind the boat. By the time they stepped out onto dry land, they found the beginnings of breakfast already waiting for them. Fresh-cooked fish sizzling over the coals and fresh bread. Jesus looked up from the fire and said, What are you waiting for? Get some of those fish ready and throw them on the grill. Peter stepped ahead and grabbed the haul rope at the net. He dragged it up the shore and secured it. He started tossing out the large fish, counting as he went. The others joined in. 153 in total, and a magnificent catch it was. It was amazing that the net hadn't broken from the weight of it all. Hurry up, Jesus called to them. It's practically lunchtime. Dig in while it's still hot. The fishermen had plenty of questions, but they kept their mouths shut. No one dared. They knew they were in the presence of their master, fully alive and cooking up a storm. It was practically a normal scene from their earlier lives traveling with a great teacher. Jesus stepped up and eagerly served all the famished men. He heaped out generous portions of bread and fish to each of them. This was now the third time that Jesus had appeared to them all in a convincing, really there manner. Body and spirit, he was really risen from the dead. This story seems so normal for them, and yet so different for them. Transformed, yeah. Yeah, and this is going to be their new normal for them. (laughs) They're thinking, what is going to happen now? And I see that they're not asking the questions that they all have in their minds. And of course, we know Jesus knows their questions, Mm -hmm. and yet he doesn't really address them here. I'm so glad that Thomas was there. You know, I just, I love that Jesus keeps reassuring Thomas because he was the one who voiced his concerns. We call him the doubter, but he's the one who really voiced his questions to begin with. He's like, you know what? Until I see his hands, I just can't believe this. Yeah. He's been the honest one. He was the one that got caught being honest. Yes. So he was honest out loud, maybe we should say. But I'm glad that he was there too, just to kind of reassure him. I believe that Jesus just looked each man in the face as they're sitting there having breakfast and they're just transfixed on him. Mm -hmm. Oh, I can't believe you're here. I can't believe this is happening again. And this is, like you said earlier, the third witness, the third revelation to them. Mm -hmm. I'm excited to see what happens next. I mean, we know that (laughs) there's a very personal conversation that happens next, but I love how Jesus just does a normal thing with them. I mean, we saw him before he suddenly appeared in the locked room and then was gone. And then he suddenly appeared in the locked room again. and They're not locked up anymore. They're not. They're out in the open. He could have walked up just as easily as any of us could have. And yet, there's something miraculous about this whole encounter. Of course there is. I mean, Jesus is there for crying yes. out loud. 
The thing that kind of resonates with me is that the last time that Jesus walked along a shore that they can probably remember the moment they were discovered by Jesus. And Jesus starts with, follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. Mm. In this scene, it's all done. That chapter of their lives is in one way complete. They're not being called to go out yet. The Holy Spirit's going to get busy with that at Pentecost. But for right now, their time with Jesus on this earth in that personal way has summed up. Mm -hmm. And for them, he's calling them to come be with him. Just sit down and eat. It's my chance now to serve you for all the ways you've served me. Mm. And there's nothing about this encounter that seems to be rushed. It's not like Jesus has to be somewhere quickly. He's not dusting off their sandals saying, get ready, you got more stuff coming. He's just there. Mm -hmm. And I feel like he was fully attentive to them. And that this scene seems to resonate with that kind of feeling of warm welcome and safety and home. Well, maybe they expected him to teach them, but I think he's done with that. The teaching part is past, and now it's the resting part, refreshed and restored. Jesus is just, like you said, serving. Right. He's serving them now. They know the man. They've been with him for years. He's done the impossible. He's there with them again. Where do you start after all that's changed so much? They know that Jesus has an agenda for them, but it seems like the agenda Jesus has at this moment is to really just love them, to love on them, and probably smirk a little bit and watch them wolf the the breakfast down. (laughs) He's already shown at the table in Jerusalem that he's a servant. He goes around wiping feet, cleaning mud off of toes. The lowest servant. The lowest of the low. Jesus, their rabbi, their great leader, has shown a way for them that's going to be counterintuitive, always will be, has been for thousands of years now. It's just so good to be together. Yeah. And that's what I see the whole book of John is ending up with. Next week, we'll talk about the lesson that Peter gets in building a future. Mm. And that's as far as we can go today on this Chasing the Word. We're so glad that you're with us and that you've stayed with us through the study. Thanks again, and we'll see you on tomorrow's Compassion Radio. Thanks for joining us today. Send your special gift for the church in Ukraine today. Call 1-800-868-2478. Text the word COMPASSION to 53445 or give online at CompassionRadio.com. God bless, and we'll see you tomorrow.